We're in a series of messages right now called Relationships. This is basically like Relationship 101 and how it is that we interact with each other and the importance of us having good, healthy relationships. And the reason why it's so important is because how we feel about our lives has everything to do with our relationships. If they're good, we experience joy. We feel good about life. But when they're not going well, things just seem to be falling apart and joy is just sucked out of us. We want to get to the end of the road and we want there to be joy. We want that to be the experience of our life. Why is it this way? It's because God created us for community. He created us to be in relationships with each other. And he created us in such a way that we can understand that we have a great sense of purpose in life. So are our relationships healthy or are they not? And if they're not, what can we do about it? Today is an awesome uh, message as far as being practical and helping you in your daily walk, not just today, but as you go from this place. One of the cool things about having an outline sheet or following along on something, whether you're doing it on your sheet or your, your app that you might use, is that we have something to take uh, away with us to help us uh, when we face these things in life. And every one of us deal with these things all the time. So today is a very practical look at the scriptures and understanding what God would have us learn about how to deal with our relationships every day. So I'm hoping that you'll take notes today or that you'll make sure you remember some things, whatever you need to do to remember these things, because they really can make or break you and how you feel about life in general. One of the things that we have learned from the very beginning is that we need to ask ourselves a question. It's the most important question when it comes to relationships, really. It's this. Would I want to have a relationship with me? It's a personal question. Because what we've learned is, is that we don't have the power to change other people. Do I have a witness out there from anyone, right? We can't change anyone. And we try to do that, and it's, it's uh, very discouraging to us when we try to do that. We don't have the power to change people, but we have the power to influence people. We influence through what we say and do, and what we say and do influences what other people say and do. It's what we say and do together that leads to the health or the unhealth of a relationship. What we have learned is that there's a certain characteristic that God wants us to have in our relationships, and it's the characteristic called unity. So everybody say the word unity with me. Unity. There's a verse that we've used as the foundation for this uh, entire series uh, as we've gone from, from week one in this. So I want us to read it out loud together. It's found in Psalm 133, Psalm 133, verse 1. So let's read it uh, out loud together. Here we go. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. That's awesome. How awful and unpleasant it is when we don't. So we need to be in the state of being unified, having unity with us. Now, what we've learned is that all relationships go through a cycle. There are different stages of relationships. And a couple of weeks ago, I began going through them in really big detail. 
And I want to continue doing that today. And I want to catch you up uh, with what I shared with you uh, in that last message. It's really quick. Uh, It won't take very long so we can get into something new today. And the importance of today is not only are we going to learn about the stages of relationships, but today in the stage that we'll be learning about, we're going to learn how to repair broken relationships. So what are these stages? Well, this first stage is called the godly stage. If you'll look on the screen, I've given it to you in the form of an illustration. It begins with godly. On your outline sheet, I put a statement there to describe this stage to you. It says this, the godly stage. And in this stage, we have the same thought. Both of us have this same thought. I want to help you. That is the nature of the relationship. I want to help you. You want to help me. This is who we are. This is our purpose. I love the scripture and what it says in Philippians, excuse me, chapter 2. It tells us that this is what relationships are about. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. That's what we're supposed to do. That's the nature of the relationship. I am to help somebody be better. I am to help somebody be their best. In fact, it's not about me getting attention. It's about me bringing attention to you and how great you are and how God created you to be something awesome for him. That's what it's about. That's the whole relationship. Me helping you and you helping me. As long as we do this, there is unity. But when we stop, the relationship becomes unhealthy. And the reason is because we get into another stage. We become confused. On the screen, you'll see the illustration of it. We start with the godly part. You'll see it on the screen to my left up there. The godly part. Then we go to the confused stage of it. Here's a a statement that describes that confused stage of the relationship. That we're influenced to think of ourselves and not others. So the godly, this is my thought, I want to help you. The confused stage, you'll see it. It's already filled in for you. We're influenced to think of ourselves and not others. Now, what we learned is that there are four influences in every relationship. There is God, there is Satan, there is me, and there is you. Those are the four influences. God is influencing me and you to love. In other words, God is influencing me to help you, and he's influencing you to help me to serve each other. That's what we do in love. We sacrifice and invest in each other. Satan is influencing me and he's influencing you not to love, but to lust. In God influencing me to love, he's influencing me to give to help you. Satan in influencing me to lust is leading me and influencing me to want more for myself. That's the way it is. I want more. I want more from you. I want more from life. I want this. I want that. It's not about you. It's about the lust of attention. It's about the lust of power. It's about the lust of having more money or having more fame or having more whatever because we believe that's what's going to make us happy in our life. Those are the two influences. But what we have to realize is I'm either influencing for God, leading you to love, And to help others, or I'm influencing you for Satan to lust and to want more for yourself. 
I do it through my behavior, through what I say, and through what I do. Which means this, I'm either influencing for God, or I'm influencing for Satan. You're either influencing for God, or you're influencing for Satan. You see how this works? It's this quartet of a relationship that happens in every situation. We get confused because we start listening to other people tell us that we can find joy in helping ourselves and not giving to help other people. And the moment we start doing that, we start living for what we want. What happens? Well, we've bought in and we now are in the next stage, which is the misdirected stage of the relationship. So we've got the confused stage of the relationship. We're influenced to think of ourselves and not others. We just talked about that. And now we go into the misdirected stage of the relationship, which this misdirected stage says this, that we love ourselves. I've been influenced to love myself. People are trying to get me to love myself. And guess what? I love myself. I become prideful. I put myself first. When making a decision, I think of me before anything else. And the moment I start doing that, it kicks me into the next stage of the relationship, the problematic stage. We start having problems. There are a lot of problems. And when we look at the problems, we understand that they're they're seen in different ways. In fact, if you look at the statement on your sheet, again, just reminding us what we learned, this is what happens. We begin to behave selfishly, we fail to meet expectations, and we experience unhealthy emotions. We start having problems. We start behaving selfishly. I shared a scripture with you, which was a beautiful example of this, where Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus. Again, these people were having relationships with each other, just like we do in the church or we do in our families or friendships, whatever they may be. This is what he wrote. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may, be, that it may benefit those who listen. I want you to get what he just said again. Don't do bad, selfish things, but do things that help each other. Isn't that supposed to be our mindset? That's what he just said. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed uh, for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We learned that in this problematic stage, we have these selfish behaviors. It's unwholesome talk. He talked about rage. In other words, we do things to harm other people, physically, emotionally, uh, mentally, whatever it may be. Uh, he talked about brawling, that we're in a fight with each other, that it's always about winning, me being better than you. He talked about slander. Slander is using our words to tear people down, either tearing them down to their face or talking about them to ruin their reputation. It talked about malice, that in malice we do things to destroy other people, whatever it is that we do to hurt them in whatever means it may be. This is the behavior that happens, and these are the behaviors that cause problems. Do I have a witness out there from anybody? It's all selfishness. We stopped helping ourselves, stopped helping others, and we started doing things to try to help ourselves, and all of these things come out. Not only did it say this, but there are bad emotional problems that come out of it as well. It talked about being bitter and angry. Does this not sound like relationships to you? 
When we start doing these things to each other, do we not start getting bitter against each other and angry at each other for what it is that they've done? This is the nature of who we are. And here's the reason why. It's because we stopped living up to the expectations. There's actually one expectation, which is the mother of all other expectations. Jesus told us how it is that we're to behave. I've said this so many times. It's the golden rule. Matthew 7, 12. So in everything do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. We stop treating other people the way we want to be treated. We start treating them in the opposite way that we want to be treated. That's the expectation. And because we've done this, we find ourselves in a broken relationship. It's all about trust. I know I've shared this illustration a couple of times. I just want to remind you what trust is. Trust is the glue that keeps every relationship together. Without trust, it falls apart. It's like the glue on the back of a piece of tape, right? If I took a piece of scotch tape and stuck it to this speaker, it would stick well. If I picked it up and tried to stick it somewhere else, it would stick but it wouldn't stick as well because part of the glue is over there. It came off. Now I pick it up and I take it somewhere else. It sticks, but not as well as it did there because some of the glue came off. And eventually I would go somewhere and try to stick it to something and it would just fall apart. It would just fall down. It wouldn't stay because there's nothing there to keep it connected anymore. All the glue's gone. Every one of those things are events. Every one of those things are behaviors, choices that we've done that either build trust or take trust away. They're self-centered things that we've done. And every time we do it, it takes trust away. And some of them take a lot of trust away. Some of them don't take as much trust away. But they all take some trust away. And when the trust is gone, the relationship doesn't work. So how do I fix it? Don't you want to know? Come back next week, and I'm, I'm just sharing. I'm just kidding you. I told you already. I'm going I'm to tell you. I, actually, I'm going to give you the answer to that today. How's that? I'm going to share with you what the Bible says about how it is that we fix the problem. Here's what has to happen. The trust that has been removed has to be put back. That's what has to happen. And there are a couple of things that must occur for this to happen. So that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about how to resolve the problem. It's the next stage of the relationship. The resolved part or resolved stage of the relationship. I'm resolving the problems that we just talked about. This is what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Listen to this. This is a key verse. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, not lust. On, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect, what's the next word? Unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God 
the Father through him. There's another word that he used for unity. We actually see the word unity, but he also used the word peace. God wants there to be peace. The reason why we are not in unity is because we are not at peace with one another. And the scripture tells us this. Y'all, this is so sweet. It says this, that he has called us to peace. God called us to bring peace into the relationship. Okay, so if he called me to do it, then how in the world am I supposed to do that? I want to go back to read verse 13 again. It said this. It tells us two things that we have to do. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. There are two things that it says that has to happen for there to be peace. The first thing it mentioned was this, that we have to bear with each other. Now, it said in the scripture, bear with each other. I want to give it to you in a more practical statement. Let's write it down in this way. This is what we must do. We must understand each other. When it's talking about bearing with each other, it's talking about knowing who we are, knowing who the person is so that we can be able to be in this relationship with each other so we get why they do what it is that they do. Why do we do what we do? Everything that we do comes out of our heart. We know that, again, because the scripture tells us this. Look at what it says in Proverbs 16.1. It says, to man belong the plans of the heart. So what we do comes out of what is within us. And what should be within us is that we would love each other. This is the way it should be. Peter wrote this. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the where? From the heart. So what does that mean? What does it mean to love each other from the heart? What does it mean to, to, to understand people when it comes uh, to the heart? I want you to think about the heart like we do our physical heart. We know that our physical heart, there are four parts of the physical heart, right? There's the left ventricle and the right ventricle and the left atrium and the right atrium. Hey, thank you so much for helping. I appreciate that. There are four parts of the physical heart. And what I want to share with you today is about the spiritual heart. There aren't four parts of the spiritual heart. There are three parts of the spiritual heart. And we're going to use an illustration to take a look at it. The first part of the spiritual heart, we're going to call it the believe part of the heart. It's the belief part of the heart. Now, you can, it, 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 we answer a question related to this part of the heart. It helps us understand what we're all about. On your outline sheet, I've put this question for you. All right, let's take a look at it. Uh, it says this, what do we believe, which has to do with belief. That's the belief part of the heart. And it says this, it is the source of our faith. So this part of my heart, it's the belief part of my heart. What is it that do I believe? What do I put my faith in? What do I trust in that will give me value and meaning in life? This is what I trust in. I either believe that my life is, I've already talked about this, okay? It's just kind of review, but... I either believe that my life has meaning if I help you, or I believe my life has meaning if I help myself. That's what I believe. I trust that one of those two things is true, and I live by that. Because in my beliefs in doing that, it 
it has a bearing on what it is that I do with my life. So what do I believe? Here's the second part of the heart. Let's take a look at the illustration again. There's the belief part of the heart. Now there's the desire part of the heart. So it asks the question about desire. So you can fill this in. Who do we desire? It's the desire part of the heart. It is the source of our passion. It asks the question, who do I desire? Who do I love? Do I love me the most? Or do I love you the most? Well, how do I know? How do I know who I love the most? Well, if I love you the most, I am a giving person. If I love me the most, I'm a getting person. I'm either a giving person who is constantly trying to help other people, whatever, or I'm trying to get things from you or to get things from the world for myself because I love myself. It's the desire part of me. Now, it's really important when we think about these two parts of the heart because we need to know where people are coming from. If this person has the belief part of their heart, they trust in helping themselves, I need to start asking a question. Why do they believe that? I need to understand this person and where they're coming from. Why did they believe that? Is that what they were taught when they were growing up in a home or in their family environment? Whatever that environment may look like. And we know there are a lot of different ways it can look. Did they learn it from uh, somebody like that? A guardian or a parent? Or some family member? Did they learn it from somebody else who became an influence in them? Some teacher or maybe a friend or someone else who started teaching them these things? Because remember, we all have influences in our life. Y'all remember that part, right? We're either influencing for God to love or influencing Satan to lust. Why is this person believing what they're believing? When I begin to understand why they believe this, it helps me to know who this person is in a better way. It's the same thing with desire. Why is this person such a person who's trying to get all the time? What is it that's happened in their past experiences that has caused them to be that way? I need to know who this person is. Okay, there's a third part of the heart. So we've got the belief part of the heart, the desire part of the heart, and then there's the conviction part of the heart. This is a really important part. The conviction part of there's a question, and it has to do with two main issues. So here's the question. What is our conviction, right? And conviction has to do with sorrow or being satisfied. Are we sorrowful or are we satisfied? Now, what in the world does that have to do with? Where belief has to do is the source of our faith, and where desire is the source of our passion, um, conviction is the source of our behavior. And what do I mean by that? I am convinced, I am convicted that this is the way I'm supposed to live my life and I'm going to do this and I feel satisfied. I'm okay with it. I'm convicted this is the way I should live my life and I'm living my life this way and I'm living in satisfaction because this is the way I should live. That's one way to look at conviction. The other way to look at conviction is this. I'm living my life in this way, and it's the wrong way to live. And I'm sorrow. I have sorrow. I have sorrow in my heart. I'm sorry for how I'm living. I feel convicted about how I'm living. You see the different types of conviction? Conviction, this is the right way to live. I'm satisfied. Or conviction, this is the wrong way to live, and I'm sorrowful. I feel convicted about how I live. Now, here's the deal. 
No one changes unless they have the conviction of sorrow. Did you hear that? I need to know that about the person that I'm dealing with. Is this person so convinced and convicted that their selfish lifestyle is right, that they're not going to change? Nothing's going to change. They're still going to do the exact same thing they've always done because they don't think they should do anything different. I need to know that about that person. It's who they are. But I need to help that person get to the place somehow to know that this is not where real joy comes from in life. And you know how it happens? It happens through me living the exact opposite lifestyle that they live. Instead of trying to get and get and get all the time, me constantly trying to give and to help and to improve their life constantly and sacrifice to show them how much I care about them. That's what softens the heart. See, y'all get this? Nothing's going to change. We can't bear with each other until we understand each other. Let's look at the second thing that causes there to be change in a relationship. This is really strong, right? The first part, bear with each other, and then it used the word, uh, another word in the scripture. Let me read it again to you in verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is the way I'm going to put it. Instead of using the word forgive, which is a really good word, by the way, I'm going to talk about it. Instead of using the word forgive, I want to use the word reconcile. We must reconcile with each other. For us to reconcile, to make things right between us, there has to be forgiveness. In fact, the word reconcile, let's look at a definition. To reconcile is to bring into harmony. In other words, to bring back into unity. So we need to reconcile. For us to reconcile, to have harmony, to be at peace, to be back in unity, we must forgive each other. In other words, we have to cease feeling resentment against each other. Now, remember one of the problems that happened in the problematic stage? Not only do we do bad things, but we become angry and bitter. Y'all remember that part? Our emotions get involved in unhealthy behaviors, and we start having negative feelings toward the other people that we're in relationship with. And we understand forgiveness and no forgiveness when those feelings go away. We cannot be in a healthy relationship if we are in a bitter, angry condition with another person. That is not a healthy relationship. So what I have to do is to do what's necessary for those behaviors to change, for there to be forgiveness. So how does this happen? How can there be this reconciliation? Okay, How, how can we reconcile this way? I want to give you three C's. Okay, Why? Because I'm a preacher. And everything has to have the same letter occasionally, all right? So that's the way it is. So let me give you the three C's that, that are the solution to this. Here's the first C. There must be caring. I have to care about this person. I have to care about them. How do I know that I care? I, I hope I'm not confusing you. I'm, I keep you know, going back and forth here. But let me give you a way in which we know that we care about the other person. It has everything to do with with how we feel about someone else. I read to you in verse 13, bear with each other and forgive each other. Before it said to bear and forgive each other, listen to what it said in, the, in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves 
with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. How do I know that I care about this person? Because I have compassion for them because of their condition. My attention goes away from their behavior and the bad things that they do to why they do bad things. Y'all, that's sweet right there, is it not? Instead of me focusing on the bad things, I understand who the person is and why they've chosen to do those bad things. And I become compassionate toward that person. And then I become concerned about them and humble myself to do what I can to help that person. I become patient with that person. I become gentle with that person. And these qualities begin to come out of my life as I live in this way. That's what it means to be a caring person. You cannot change until you reach the place where you're compassionate and humble and patient and gentle and have these qualities that it talks about in the scripture to have that, are, that you have to have to be able to deal with their failures. So do I care? Have I put on the clothes? That's a good way to put it. Have I put on the clothes? Second thing that has to happen. All right? For there to be reconciliation, it's the second C, is there must be confession. There must be confession. One of my favorite scriptures related to confession has to do with our relationship with God. We have a relationship with God. His relationship, our relationship with Him is like our relationship with other people. Same thing. This is what he said. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Again, I'm digging this because this is about a relationship that we have with him. All right, this is what he's saying. God is telling us that we've done things wrong, and we have to believe it. But not everybody believes it. Because some people say, I didn't do anything wrong. And when you say you didn't do anything wrong, you're calling him a liar. That's what the scripture just said. That's, that's what the scripture just said. He's telling you this is what you've done wrong, but you have to be convicted, feel sorrowful for your condition, and know that you did what is wrong. When you know you did what is wrong is wrong, then you'll confess. Here's the deal. Confession is not optional. For a relationship to be reconciled and restored, confession is not optional. If we confess, he forgives. If we confess to others, there can be forgiveness. It's not optional. But what so many people do, I I want you to make sure you hear what I'm about to say, because I've done the exact same thing. I've done things wrong before, never confessed that I did, did anything wrong, and just hoped that it would go away. Do I have a witness out there from anybody? Just hope that it would go away. Do you know what I find myself thinking about? The things that I did wrong because they're still there. They haven't gone away. And those things are still there in the connection, in my relationship with those people that I may have done something wrong to. And they will always be there and affect the health of the relationship until they're dealt with. Confession is not an option. So let me help you understand how this conf- what this confession looks like. 
Here's the thing about God. When we confess things to God, God knows immediately whether we're serious about it or not. He knows our hearts. Don't y'all hate that? Do I have a witness out there? Brother? I hate that. He knows it all. We can't hide anything. But we don't know that about each other. The only way we know somebody is serious about their confession is through their behavior. Not only through the things they say, but through the things they do. This is what true confession looks like. When I confess to someone, I'm telling them specific things. This is what I say to them. This is what I did. This is why I did it. And this is what I know it's doing to you. I want you to hear, hear it again, okay? When I confess, you may want to write it down. If you don't, that's fine. This is what I did. It's the behavior. This is why I did it. Why? Because I'm selfish and I put myself before you. I wanted to help myself and not you. And it was at the expense of you. And this is what it did to you. I know I hurt you because of what I did. Why is that important? Because my job is not to hurt you. My job is to help you. That's true confession. This is what I did. This is why I did it. And this is what I know it did to you. It's accompanied with a desire to change and to never do it again. That's the third C. There must be caring. There must be confession. But there must be confidence. What does that mean? Somebody has to be confident that what I just confessed and said I was serious about, and the only way they know it is through my behavior. It's the only way they know. I, when I uh, do counseling, marital counseling for people occasionally, it's one of the big things that I, I talk to them about. Because it's easy for us to say we're sorry. Y'all have heard this before. I've said I'm sorry many times. What are you sorry for? Most, a lot of the times, we're sorry that we got caught, right? That's what we're sorry for. We're not sorry because of the negative effect that it's had on somebody else. We're sorry for the negative effect that it's having on us. That's what we're sorry for. So when I use these words and communicate the way in which I just communicated, what I'm saying to that person is this is really what I know and who I see myself as and what I did that is wrong. But in the midst of all of that, they have to know the seriousness behind what we, what we just said. And the only way that we can do that is to change our behavior. And I want to give you some ways, some examples, and we're done, okay? I'm really close to being finished here. Some ways in which we can can do things to build confidence to help the other person know that we've changed. First thing has to do with our time. On your outline sheet, fill it in. It's how we use our time. I neglected you. This might be one of the problems. I haven't been spending time with you. I've been spending time with this person or that person or at work or this or that. And my time has proven that I love all those people more than I love you. So what am I going to do? I change how I use my time to spend it with you. Don't expect the person to believe you unless you change your time because they're not. It might be this. It might not be a neglect thing as far as spending time with you, but it might be this. I need to spend time to go to anger management classes to deal with my anger problems so I never do whatever what I did to you again. I'm spending my time to get better. I'm spending my time to go to a class. I'm spending my time to get therapy. I'm spending my time to do whatever is necessary for me never to do it again. And when we use our time, it gives people confidence that our hearts change. What just happened? Y'all, this is sweet. <gasps> 
trust just went back on the tape. That's confidence, right? Trust and confidence are the same thing. Trust just went back on the tape. Because I'm proving through my behavior that I care about them. Talents. My talents is who am I serving? I'm using my abilities. I've been using my abilities to help me. I'm going to start using my abilities to help you. What can I do to help you be better? What can I do to help you live up to your potential? Whatever, what, what can I do to invest myself in you to help you be the person that God wants you to be? What can I do? When we start serving to help the other person, what happens? Oh, it's sweet. Glue just went back on the tape. We're serving the other person. Here's another one. And I know it kind of sounds weird. I know it does because you don't, might not think about it this way a lot. But it's how we use our treasures, how we use our time, how we use our talents, how we use our treasures. You know, one of the things that breaks up relationships is how we use our money. I spent my money on a new boat instead of helping you get what you needed for whatever it was. Basically, that was a confession that I've made before in the past. All right. So anyway, um, I'm just using it. It's real life. I did it eight times, but you know, it took me a while to learn. Whatever. I use my money to do this for myself instead of you. Now, I'm, I want to use money to help you and benefit you. I'm not using it to get something that I want. I'm using money to do something to help you in your area of need. What just happened, y'all? It's sweet. Glue just went back on the tape. Confidence just went back on the tape. Trust just went back on the tape. But it never would happen without the change of how we use our time and our talents and our treasures. Some of us just want to give people lip service. Other people really care about others and will do what's necessary to change. That's when relationships are healed. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. I don't know the condition of your relationships. It might be that you're going through some tough times. I get it. But I just want you, to, I want you to, to not forget this today. There are two things that are not optional, all right? One is confession. It's not an option. If you want this to be fixed, you've got to get real and tell people what you did and tell them what you're going to do to, do, to, to, do, to, to change. And the second thing is, you have, this isn't optional, you have to change your behavior. Or it's never going to be fixed. And I want you to notice how I'm saying this, that you have to do these things. Because you can't make other people change. All you can do is to be the person that you would want to have a relationship with. So what do you need to do to fix this? I'm going to pray in just a minute that God would give you the confidence to do it. And that God would bring restoration in relationships. Maybe for some of you that have been broken for a really, really long time. That God wants to bring back together in unity. For you to live up to your calling. To be called for peace. It might be today that you don't have a relationship with God. 
some of you have been wanting the things of the world, and I live for this, and I live for that. I get this, get it, because I feel like it's going to fill some kind of void or hole that I have in my life if I get more things that the world is offering to me. And what you're missing is the relationship, the relationship with God who loves you no matter what you've done. That's why Jesus came, to help people who were unholy, who were sinful people. He healed people. He served people. Most importantly, he died on the cross for the sins that we deserve death for. He did that for us so that we would have a relationship with him. If you don't know God, we'd love to help you have a relationship with him. At the end of our service today, back in the back to my right, there's a door with a single glass window. There's somebody back there. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you and help you have a relationship with God. Just tell them, I want to be a Christian, and we'll know exactly what it is that we can do to help you. If you want to be baptized, if there are any other decisions you need to make, that's the place you can go as well. But we want to help you make this connection with God. As I pray today, I'd encourage you to pray about your relationships. Father, thank you so much for what you taught us. Be with us, God. It's not only we hear it, but we allow it to change us. Lead us, God, to be different because of it. Lead us, God, to fulfill our calling for peace. Give us the courage, God, to say things to people that we should have said a long time ago and to change behaviors that we know need to be changed because we truly do want to help other people and live up to being love for others. And I pray this in Jesus' name.